Hey guys, I'm Michaela Daniel. And I'm Kate Fallon. And this is Cultural Standpoints, a podcast created by the Strategy Class of 2019 at the VCU Brand Center. Today we're going to be talking about cancel culture. Ooh. <laughs> so Kate, do you want to talk about what cancel culture is? Because I've heard it called a lot of different things and it seems that people look at it in different ways. So cancel culture is basically this idea of disassociating with somebody because mm-hmm. of an action they took or something they said. And this disassociation can include anything from unfollowing them on social media to no longer purchasing their merchandise or consuming anything from their brand. But we most often see it when people negatively share information about the canceled person on social media to try to dissuade others from following them. Okay, so it's almost like that banishment that used to happen on the playground in elementary school, but now it's on a macro level because what's actually evolved in today's culture is that these cancellations can have some real repercussions. Absolutely. To get a better understanding of where this current climate is around cancel culture, we actually decided to go and talk to some local Richmonders. There's, there's so many examples. I feel like it's always been around, but just for different things, and it's just happening at a much faster pace, and things that were okay even like five, ten years ago aren't okay now. I feel like it focuses on the individual, and it doesn't translate over to canceling bad behavior as like a societal whole and I don't know how you make that shift and then I feel like cancel culture is very reactionary and where's a proactive stance that we can take as a society to add on to that it definitely helps people give a voice a voice to be able to say like dude you can't you can't say that (laughs) and then cons though definitely that I think it's you're guilty before proven innocent when you take away someone's voice completely, you never give them the opportunity to be able to use that voice again to show how they've changed or make amends, and it almost becomes like, no, you're muted forever. Okay, so there are definitely some strong opinions about cancel culture. Maybe we should take a step back and kind of see how all of this came about. Yeah, I think it's really important to know how this all started. So canceling started within the Black Twitter community as a popular tool in activism for marginalized people to bring about change from institutions or individuals that they felt may have slighted, offended, or just straight up ignored the community. Cancellations are often triggered by a cultural offense or an infringement upon that community. Historically, Western societies, including the American colonies, use public shaming and even executions to help deter bad behavior and maintain community and conformity. So this notion of public exile isn't necessarily new, but today it's evolved into a Twitter, do your thing, and in seconds you could be facing a viral subpoena to the court of public opinion, where we see people facing off in the comments section, deliberating like a jury of sorts through powerhouse media sources like Media Takeout, and in offline conversations. When we finally see people sentenced, it's usually something like complete cultural execution, then being placed on a slight probation, or being put on indefinite community service where the culture is always watching. Let's talk about a couple of recent examples of people who have been canceled. Okay, let's get into it. The first one I want to bring up is Roseanne Barr. So Roseanne was very popular, and she just had the Roseanne reboot air. She was also using social media in somewhat of a negative way. She was tweeting incendiary things, talking a lot about conspiracy theories. But one day, she tweeted a derogatory tweet about Obama advisor Valerie Jarrett. Hmm. The tweet said, Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby, which equals VJ. Mm. Yeah, so on top of serious social media backlash, ABC canceled the Roseanne reboot, she was dropped from her talent agency, and the spinoff of Roseanne called The Connors has literally killed Roseanne off of the show. 
So she's been canceled and completely lost her vocation. Okay. And then we have somebody like Lori Laughlin, who is celebrating success in her Hallmark Channel series, When Calls the Heart. She's appearing on the Full House reboot, Fuller House. And then it came out that she reportedly paid a quote-unquote consultant over $500,000 to help her daughters get into college. And he did this by fabricating media to showcase the daughters as crew team members to recruit them to the USC crew team. They never participated in the sport before. Wow. Lori was dropped from her Hallmark series and her recurring role on Fuller House and is now in the middle of this huge PR issue. Not to mention her daughters, who reportedly didn't know anything about the bribe, may lose their student status at school. You know what? In hearing all of that, I think a lot of us get sucked into this social pressure of publicly executing someone's brand because they've done something that went against our personal morals. And to me, all of that just sounds like mob mentality. Absolutely. A great example of this mob mentality in its early years is with this woman named Justine Sacco. I remember that. Yeah, so in the winter of 2014, Justine, a PR exec, boarded a flight to South Africa. Before she boarded the flight, she tweeted... Going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. And then she turned off her phone. Within the 11-hour flight, the tweet blew up. At the time, there was even a flight tracker that thousands were following to see when her flight landed and anticipating what her reaction to this firestorm would be. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, thousands joined in with this public execution of sorts on social media for this tweet, and she very publicly lost her job. Her name kind of lives on in cancel culture infamy. I can imagine. So Kate and I wanted to hear more about how society uses social media to enact positive social change, why we feel we can actually cancel someone, and the social psychology elements behind mob mentality on social media, all in the effort to understand how we use this to create a better and more inclusive space for others. We decided to meet with Dr. Bargdill, a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University's psychology and sociology department. Dr. B is a subject matter expert on meaning and creativity and how they interact in order to prevent or promote the good life. It seems to me that people feel like they don't have a lot of say in the world right now so that when they see some sort of overt um, moral breaking, that's something they can do something about. One of the reasons we're seeing that is this sort of feeling of general helplessness that nothing in my life is, is making a, a, any difference on the big things that I want, so at least we can gather together and, and attack someone who's made a grievous public error. What you're seeing is there's a no-forgiveness policy, and um, you know some of that is you should have common decency to act this way. And if you don't, we're, we're just not going to tolerate It's one strike, you're out. This is how aggression comes out in folks who, who don't have a lot of power. We're going to attack quickly, ruthlessly anybody who makes an obvious mistake. Okay, now we know a little more about who's been canceled and why as a society we gang up innocence and cancel. So what about coming full circle? Can someone ever come back from all of this? I think that it depends. Like we talked about earlier, I think that as Americans, we look for justice to be served in the courtroom or online in a way that lets us put a situation in a box, tie a bow around it, and shove it under the bed. Yep, but since those types of systems have failed us before, we've modified how justice is served and brought it online because I think we've realized an acquittal from the courtroom doesn't always mean innocence. Definitely. Michaela, can you elaborate on that? Sure. See, the thing with cancel culture at its core 
is that it was a safeguard against the privileges that most Americans were afforded due to an institutionally racist judicial system. For example, last summer when you had the permit patties and barbecue Beckys and other white women calling the police on minorities for minor grievances, that was a form of harassment, but no officer arrested or even ticketed them. So if on a small scale, there's a lack of justice, we know that most likely someone like Lori Laughlin isn't going to jail. That's why we as a people have formed our own judicial system through cancel culture. So in your opinion, how would somebody go about apologizing or making amends? Well, in the court of opinion, you kind of just have to hope that the evidence that you've submitted, whatever that may be, is enough to make the case for your spot and culture. But that also means understanding your actions have consequences and taking your sentencing with dignity and grace. So whether you're R. Kelly facing cultural exile, James Gunn coming back from being placed on probation, or someone like Chris Brown on indefinite community service, Serve your time humbly and use it as a moment to reflect and make some internal system updates. The culture will thank you for it. Great point. So, Michaela, I think we're coming to this point where we're trying to understand if cancel culture is good or bad. What do you think? Honestly, that's a question I've been asking myself a lot now, and I keep coming back to it depends. On one hand, canceling has set a cultural standard that the old ways of thinking or outdated ideas that we've progressed from don't deserve and won't have a platform. And we've effectively begun to set this bar for where we expect ourselves to be morally. Personally, I love it. But where it gets tricky for me is that most of these cancellations are revisionist. We're intentionally going into the past to find a present day issue to cancel. And I think we all have something that we've personally said, done, or just a really ugly mindset that we no longer subscribe to. So I've kind of realized that our goal isn't necessarily to end them or to cancel their voice indefinitely, but it should be to talk about the root of the issue and how we can actually move forward and start to solve it. Awesome point of view. For me, I think that cancel culture can be both. On one hand, it's good because there are things that we definitely need to call out. With the freedom of social media and its reach, there's a responsibility that comes with it too. Someone can hurt a lot of people depending on what they say, so we can cancel and show that we won't stand for XYZ kind of behavior. On the other hand, I do think that the group hatred can get out of hand. The threats and humiliation that we see sometimes doesn't do anything proactive. We need to be mindful about why and how we want to cancel someone to best serve justice and not fall into groupthink or group hatred. With social media being so personal, I think we all need to ask ourselves, how can I act in the best representation of not only my person, but my goal for contributing to canceling someone or something? Someone in our focus group mentioned maybe instead of cancel culture, probation culture would be a better word. And I think that is an interesting point. Yeah, that is a nice point. Thanks, guys, for listening to this edition of Cultural Standpoints, and be sure to check out more of the thoughtful, creative podcasts created by the Brands and Strategy Class of 2019. A big thanks to Dr. Bargdill for having us and the students at VCU for their opinions. See you next time.